0: Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all of the big talking points in the beautiful game. I'm Ian McGarry and with me is Transfer Guru Duncan Castles, as always, and Let's face it, what a day. It's Friday night, thrill night, here on the Transfer Window podcast because, of course, the breaking news uh, is that Leo Messi has performed what can only be described as one of the biggest U-turns in football history by, first of all, deciding he wanted to leave Barcelona. And now, today, I'm issuing a statement and an interview in which he has said that he will stay for one more year. It's been a saga um, which has been going on for almost two weeks and probably took a lot of people by surprise, given that Messi had only, uh, through his dad Jorge, issued a very, very recalcitrant rebuke to the La Liga president, Javier Tebas, um, at lunchtime Friday, regarding his claim that the rescission clause in Messi's contract with Barcelona still stood. They claimed it did not. And yet, uh, come uh, the end of the day, Messi has backed up. Now, Duncan, you put a tweet out on Wednesday where you said that after a meeting between the Messi camp and Barcelona, it was all about whether or not Messi had the cojones to go through with this it appears that maybe he spent too much time with Antoine Griezmann, who we know on the transfer window as Scaredy Cat. So is this Scaredy Messi?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, look, we told you that meeting was going to take place between Jorge Messi and Josep Maria Bartomeu, the president of Barcelona. Um, you can, Our listeners can look back to what uh, the, the brief summary I, I presented of it, but Essentially, what happened was Jorge Messi went there with his son, Rodrigo Messi, and with their lawyer, um, who, interestingly enough, was f- hired from the company um, that drew up Messi's contract in the first place. His name is Jorge Picort. Um, The Bartomeo attended with just one of his assistants. On the Barcelona board he didn't bring a lawyer with him and I'm told that was a a tactic on behalf of Barcelona to indicate that they were so sure of their legal position that they didn't need a lawyer in the room to discuss the details of the contract all they need to do was say to the Messi's uh, you are contracted to us for another year you can leave the club if you want to leave but you will have to pay us 700 million euros as per the rescission clause in the contract um, as we told you on the podcast previous to this, Barcelona were adamant from their legal standpoint that the clause was in effect. Um, they had that support from La Liga, to which Jorge Messi sent his letter earlier today uh, in response to and accused them of bias. And that their job was, uh, they were obviously um, defending the interests of their clubs and uh, and specifying the clause in the contract, uh, detailing it in that letter, which was leaked to the press, it's clause 8.2.3.6, which will give you some indication of the complexity of that contract, which made Messi the most uh, best paid footballer in the world, um, but would have been surpassed by the 700 million euro he had offer he had on the table from Manchester City, City Football Group, and eventually their MLS franchise. Um So the the two sides communicated their um, desires, the the meeting I'm told was convivial, Um, they went away Uh, and then the decision was one again that we had predicted on the transfer podcast that it was headed down the line of legal action. Um, Barcelona I think cleverly decided to call the Messi's bluff and see whether he was prepared to take them to court to challenge that clause, to challenge the validity of the clause as his lawyers were suggesting that he had the right because of the COVID extended season to walk away um, for free um, or whether he would back down. Then he gave an interview um, released at uh, 5pm UK time. Um, In that interview, which was given to... A journalist called Ruben Uria, he talked about the clause and basically underlined the the story that's come out over the last week or so, that they felt they were free to leave. He said, um, I thought and we were sure that I was free. The president always said that at the end of the season, I could decide if I stayed or not. And now they hold on to the fact that I did not say it before June 10th when it turns out that on June 10th we were competing for the league in the middle of this shitty virus and this disease that altered all the dates. And that is the reason why I'm going to continue in the club. I'm going to continue in the club because the president told me that the only way to leave was to pay the 700 million clause. That that is impossible. And then there was another way it was to go to trial. I would never go to trial against Barça because it because it is the club that I love that gave me everything since I arrived. It's the club of my life. I've made my life here. There's lots of other content in that interview. He talks about it not being a decision he made over money, talks about how he wanted um, to allow Barcelona to renew themselves. Talks about how he wanted happiness in his football for the last stage of his career, and that's why he'd chosen to leave and and play elsewhere. He criticises the board in other ways, not just over the clause in this contract. He he criticises them over the way they've run the club, over the way they're always patching up holes rather than uh, fixing the fundamentals of the team. He said it wasn't to do with the way uh, Barcelona lost 8-2 8-2 to Bayern Munich in the in the Champions League knockout stages. Um, is adamant that it's about football, and also said that his uh, his family um, were unhappy at the idea of leaving. That his children didn't want to leave Barcelona, where they were born and grown up. That they didn't want to go to new schools. That they'd that one of his his children had actually said to him, "Do we have to go?" It is, as you say, it's a massive U-turn. And I think a lot of questions are being asked um, about the Messys, not not just Lionel Messi, but his father and his brother, who have been his advisors. Um, I'm told by people close to them that there is a chaotic situation in the family. and I I think if you analyse this, you, you can see the chaos in it because they have made this incredibly public, they sent that Bureau Facts last week stating the intention to leave. They turned it into the biggest story in football for years. Um, a, a proper um, Catalan telenovela, if you like, that, that took over the world sport. Um, and I think, in a normal situation, if you're an agent advising your player who wants to leave a club, who you've gone to the lengths of setting up a contract with one of the most affluent clubs in, in world football, Manchester City. You've done that with people who you have a long-term relationship with, Chiqui Stan, Ferran Soriano and Pep Guardiola, intimately involved them in the process. You've allowed them to believe that they are on the point of signing that player. You've, you've allowed them to say to their employers in Abu Dhabi who are funding all of this, that we think we're going to get this player and we've we've got it into this situation. Yet you didn't have the foresight to see that it could turn into a legal case. And if it did turn into a legal case, that your son would need to have, as I put it in that um, tweet earlier in the week, the cojones to go into legal battle with the club he talks about being his world and his life. Um, the the strategy seems to be lacking there, and and I think it's an embarrassing outcome for Messi for the Messi family. Um, and It's fascinating to see how it develops from here and whether what will happen in this coming season, both for him and for the club, because. You can't see, while Barcelona have managed to hold their best player, the circumstances in which they've held him don't seem conducive to a good um, result on the football pitch in the year to come.
0: Well, Duncan, as we've um, outlined on the podcast over the last few days, um, Messi does not approve of Ronald Koeman's appointment as head coach. Uh, he's not the kind of coach who Messi likes to work with because he is very strict. He is um, an authoritarian. Uh, he was brought in specifically by the Barcelona board to, in their eyes, clean up the descent of the dressing room. Uh, this is not going to be something which Messi himself will take to very well, Uh Obviously, the two-minute phone call to his best friend and teammate Luis Suarez to effectively tell him his career at Camp Nou was over. Um, This is a guy who lives three doors down from Leo in the Castel del Fel's area of Barcelona and whose family spend holidays together and lots of time together. We understand that Suarez is now um, in negotiations with Juventus to join the Syria champions. Uh, Messi and Barcelona is, uh, are at a point of a very acrimonious, they were almost in the point of divorce. They're now at the point of a very acrimonious reunion where lots of things have to be resolved. And as anyone knows who's gone through a messy breakup, uh, pardon the pun, uh, uh, they will know that this is going to be a difficult situation to amend, to fix, to get the best out of their best player. I wonder how on earth Barcelona and Messi, for that matter, are going to resolve this situation that they find themselves in because Messi has not said in his statement today or his interview as well, what his next move is because he's out of contract in a year's time, Uh, he can definitely leave for free in 2021 Uh, and as I said he has been deprived of his best friend in Luis Suarez and he's got a coach who he does not respect nor like his methods I mean in any situation this does not look good as regards Messi's form for next season
1: Look, his version of it is that he will give his best. He he says this in his interview. I'm going to give my best. we will do my best to fight for all the objectives and hopefully I can dedicate myself to the people who have had a bad time. Uh, And then talks about how he'd had a bad time this year. Um, We told you in the podcast this was a political decision by to hold him to the rescission clause to take this legal line to force Messi's hand. We told you that the advisors within the club had suggested this was actually an opportunity for, in terms of this rebuild, that Messi's massive wage at Barcelona was not sufficiently rewarded by his performances on the field. And the problems that had been caused by the power that they had allowed him to accrue at the club were such... Basically, this was an opportunity for them. There was another club he was prepared to go to. They could take the wage off their books. They could have the change in the dressing room. They could reinvest in other players from a sporting perspective and a financial, economic perspective. And this is a club that has huge debts and has been hit very hard by COVID. There was advice to Bartomeu that it made sense to negotiate a conclusion in which they got a transfer fee from Manchester City and the player was allowed to leave. But Bartomeu was adamant that he would not be the man who allowed Messi to exit um, Barcelona. And he's looking to his camp and his political camps power in the presidential elections coming up, which they're expected to lose. But long term the idea that they would get back into power in the club he didn't want that against his name he didn't want against his camps side so that that's where you get to this position of a meeting where they force messi's hand and force him to stay you're right as far as i can see there's nothing in that interview where messi says what his long-term future is which of course leaves it open to the idea um that they negotiate a new deal um you know he, he he isn't he hasn't committed himself in that interview to saying i will leave in a year's time the 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 option is open on on that side a bit of information on on what happened during that year in which he was telling um, the club and bartomeo he wanted to leave we we've talked on several podcasts with graham hunter on talking about messi's power and his influence over the the board And in decision making there, when when managers were sacked, he was involved and consulted on that and replacements came in, he was consulted on that. When the decision was made to sack Kiki Setien at the end of his very unsuccessful period in charge of the team, I'm told that Messi's recommendation to the board was that they appoint Maurizio Pochettino, not Ronald Koeman, in fact, a very different individual from Ronald Koeman, that recommendation was obviously ignored. And I'm told that contributed to this conflict at the end of the season and the decision to go public um, with uh, his uh, decision to enforce the clause in his contract or try and enforce the clause in his contract, tell Barcelona he wanted to use the clause in his contract and that he was going to leave. Um as you say, it's not a great state of affairs um, and it's not a great basis on which to do that rebuild, which the Barcelona board has committed itself to. Um, and the, the radical path they went down in, in taking a an aggressive figure like Kuman who's prepared to sacrifice a lot of players and, you know, butt heads with with important players in the team to have his chance of doing well at Barcelona. Well, it's um,
0: our information here at Window podcast that uh, Leo Messi uh, did the courtesy of calling Pep Guardiola today before the public announcement of his decision to tell him that he would not be joining Manchester City. Um, what we can't tell you, unfortunately, is how that was received by Guardiola, although he seems to be quite uh, an economist kind of guy who maybe thought the pipe dream was maybe just that. However, for City now, Duncan, this is a club with all the uh, riches in the world who finally thought they would secure the player that would take them into the stratosphere of the very elite clubs like Real Madrid, Juventus. And by signing Messi, even at 33 that they would be able to uh, progress and claim uh, a status and a profile which has has so far eluded them, and of course that elusive Champions League trophy. Um, as you mentioned already uh, earlier in the podcast, um, we're looking at two employees, in Ferran Soriano, the chief executive, and in sporting director Chiki Bagheristan, who were employed um, to recruit Pep Guardiola, their first choice for head coach, and eventually they hoped, and of course they've tried on two separate occasions, to get Leo Messi before this particular uh, one came up. And now it looks, and I'm going to be a little bit kind of uh, mischievous here. I'm not sure we've heard the end of this yet, but let's just say they were employed... To deliver, Um, how is this going to go down in Abu Dhabi? Because it looks like a failure, and we know that Sheikh Mansour is not someone who takes no or failure uh, very well.
1: Well, they've been there before, as you say. That the last contract, the current contract, the controversial contract is one which Jorge Messi used manchester city in order to obtain the level of uh, financial reward that was that written into it um, the 100 million euro signing on clause which has already been paid over three years um, first player to gross over a million a week um, in football um, terms that improved over the course of the contract massive bonuses um, and that clause which would have allowed him to leave at the end of each season if he chose to do so, if it had been um, activated at the right time. It's an extraordinary contract. And uh, as as we've reported on the podcast before, uh, Jorge Messi was involved in talking to Manchester City. He had an offer on the table uh, to bring the player there. He then went back to Barcelona and said, these are the conditions under which my, my son remains at the club. We're not open to negotiation. Either you sign on those conditions, or we go elsewhere. And there is part of the genesis of the, the situation we're in now. Um, he is a player that Abu Dhabi have coveted above all others. I think the interesting thing is, do they wait? Um, they clearly they have a scenario here where there's a great deal of unhappiness on Messi's side, on his father's side, Um, conflict with the board. Yes, there's going to be a change in presidency at Barcelona, but there's also a lot of variables in that, in that, you know, Xavi is the preferred candidate for the the likely, the expected winner of, of the presidential campaign. Xavi, I'm told, is not entirely sure whether the best way to come into the club is with Messi still at the club and still calling the shots. Xavi, for sure, if and when he comes to Barcelona and he would like to come to Barcelona, he'd like to catch coach Barcelona, he wants control of the players. He wants to give them the best chance to succeed. And he's wise enough, I'm told, to realise that if he does that while Messi's still at the club, it's going to be a lot harder. He's played with the man, he's seen how he acts, he knows his power and influence. Which means that City can work on this situation, Abu Dhabi can work on this situation if they choose to, and get a deal set up for next year. Um, Duncan, sorry to to
0: interrupt, but at 34, and with the kind of financial details that we know would uh, come with that deal, is it maybe just too late?
1: Well, our last podcast, we analysed whether it was a good idea or not. And uh, listeners can go back and and I would refer them to the authority in Barcelona that I asked that question to. And their view was, one, it was a good idea for Barcelona to let the player go now. Uh, They agreed with that sporting technical analysis that that, uh, Bartomeu was receiving. And two, that it would be very risky for Manchester City. Um, their idea was that Guardiola would need to convince Messi that he couldn't play all the games. He had to ration his physical effort for the important matches in the Champions League and the important matches in the Premier League, and and, and wasn't sure whether that would be possible to do. Having observed the way Messi acted at, at Barcelona, his, his absolute desire to play every game, to be the dominant figure, could you make that work? And you have to say, it's it's going to be harder in a year's time as he gets older, as his physical powers decline, um, for him to succeed in the Premier League and succeed at the top level of the Champions League, which is what Abu Dhabi are signing him, trying to sign him to do. Remember also, this is a player who, as recently as the last couple of years, upon winning a Ballon d'Or, gave an interview in which he talked about the, the difficulties he found in continuing to keep himself at the top level in the game talked about how it got harder each year um, to, to stay at the physical level where he could be the best player in the world, be recognised as the best player in the world, and that it, these things would come to an end. So he, he's an individual who's conscious of that and has spoken on a very public stage about it. Um, yeah, it would be ironic if Manchester City are prevented from signing Messi this summer. They allocate the money to other areas of the team uh, and they end up winning the Champions League without him because they have a better balanced uh, eleven without Messi in it than if Barcelona had allowed him to leave. And on the other side, Barcelona are stuck with this problem and failed to perform in the Champions League again as they've been failing to perform for several years now.
0: I'm going to put my head in the block on two different uh, aspects here, Duncan. Uh, I'm going to say that my expectation is that uh, both Guardiola and uh, Messi's contracts expire next summer, uh, obviously with their respective clubs, and that we might see them reunited at New York City in the following MLS season. Uh, The second one, an even more outrageous um, expectation, but one I'm sure you will certainly agree with, and that is when Messi comes to the end of his New York City contract, he'll be free to join Dundee United, and Tanadice will be lit up by
1: the little magician uh, when he's 38. (laughs) Uh, It'll be amusing. It would be amusing. That will never happen, but it would be very amusing to watch uh, Scottish defenders try and um, take Messi on uh, with Scottish referees in charge of the matches.
0: But let's talk a little bit about Ansu Fati, uh, who made his Spain debut uh, in the Nations League Qualifier last night. Um, You also reported the offers made by Manchester United uh, to Barcelona uh, earlier this year for the player. But it seems that he might be coming into a windfall all of his own without
1: moving. Yeah, if you you go back to our podcast at the time, we talked about Ansu Fati's importance at Barcelona and and importance from a commercial perspective as well as a sporting perspective. Um, He's extremely popular on social media and he's seen by um, sports associated advertising companies as as an individual who can capture the attention of a young audience, a sort of potential successor to Messi in the commercial stakes. Um, He's one of the most popular shirt sellers behind uh, Messi already, even though his uh, senior career has only just started. Um, Last night with that debut for Spain off the bench, and he scored a goal, which was given offside coming off the bench, Um, At age 17 years and 309 days, he became the youngest national team debutant for 84 years. And this is a player who only really got his Spanish um, citizenship uh, formally last year. Um, If you remember, long-time listeners to the podcast remember we talked about the interest from Manchester United, Borussia Dortmund and other clubs at that time in taking him from uh, La Masia at, at a very cheap cost. Um, because they saw the talent was there. But one of the issues with him moving to the Premier League at that point was he didn't even have his passport. He was applying to get the passport at that time. So just got the passport. Now in the Spanish team, um, as you say, there'd been those verbal offers on behalf of Manchester United for him earlier in the summer. The strategy there was... Uh, people knew the difficulties that Barcelona had financially and they knew they would need to raise money in this transfer market if they wanted to make buys to um, uh, pacify the fans And this is before the messy situation blows up and, and, and makes the political uh, situation for Bartomeuco much much harder than it already was and And these offers were presented to Barcelona saying, look if you need the money here is the money here is a hundred million. Uh, euros guaranteed, uh, with bonuses if you're prepared to let Ansu Fati go. Barcelona turned down all of those offers. It's kind of gone unnoticed, but when Bartomeu gave his uh, long interview to Barcelona TV after um, the sacking of Setien, announcing the changes in the squad, the cleaning of the dressing room that Kumin was coming in, he was asked about sales and he said, um, on record, we have received offers for Ansu Fati, but we don't want to sell him, we want to grow him here, he is not for sale. And they have very much stayed to that line throughout. Um, What I'm hearing is that his status, again, being recognized by the companies that invest in sport and he's likely to get a big upgrade on his Nike um, ambassador contract uh, in the near future. And Nike see him as a, as a player that they can promote and accelerate in replacement for Neymar, who has recently signed uh, a contract with Puma after leaving Nike as one of their key uh, football athletes.
0: Well, from one club where money is no uh, problem, it seems, in terms of spending, and that would be Manchester City, to across the city to Manchester United, where money is is definitely available. And we have seen that with the signing of Dorry van der Beek from Ajax for around 40 million euros earlier this week. And Duncan, I'm told that there was a meeting at uh, Carrington Training Ground uh, earlier this week, in which uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer met with some of the recruitment staff, including Matt Judge, who is head of corporate development, which I find odd for someone who's supposed to be buying players, but anyway, uh, we'll leave that one for now. Um, but he's the guy who basically recommends and makes decisions on players before it goes upstairs to Ed Woodward. and he expressed his frustration uh, and unsurprisingly, with Manchester City already ahead in the window with the signings of Nathan Aki, Ferran Torres, Chelsea spending like drunken yuppies, it seems uh, on all parts of the team. And um, Solskjaer is concerned that despite the fact he has been flagging up for weeks and months now where he's, he sees the team needs to be strengthened, they are lagging behind their rivals. Can you understand that frustration, especially given that, you know, his, I would say his job's on the line, but we know that's not the case. Uh, but certainly the, the fact that they want to be challenging next season in a way that they were failing to do uh, last season.
1: Well, it's not long till the, the start of the, the Premier League season. You're in the pre-season period. He had identified far in advance um, desire for to improve, uh, certainly right wing, uh, and this long pursuit of Jadon Sancho, which Manchester United believe they had um, almost there uh, a few weeks ago. But... Um, have failed to complete to this stage, had been prioritising in terms of uh, uh, that position and right wing concentrating their efforts on getting Sancho done rather than moving to alternative uh, potential targets such as Ousmane Dembele, who they've had preliminary conversations about. Um, he, as we've told you in the podcast, he would like to strengthen at left back. He would like a uh, left-footed centre-back in um, who is capable of uh, playing the ball out from the back to, to improve his defensive options. He had been asking for a midfielder. The midfielder obviously is there. As we said in the last podcast, um, I think Manchester United have done very well to get Donny van de Beek in for that price um, and it's going to be a very interesting midfield to watch, particularly if Solskjaer takes um, what uh, one of Van de Beek's uh, former colleagues at Ajax um, told me about the possibility of him playing as number six and being combined in a midfield with Pogba, Bruno Fernandes and Donny van de Beek all all starting. um, It's a massive upgrade on where Manchester United were a year ago. Um, But, yeah, look at the window and you look at the, the... the formal words coming from Manchester United about this window going into it, and it's all about, all being about this COVID has hit us hard, um, understandably, because they didn't cut wages and they put a lot of money into the local community, unlike some of their competitors. Um, We have to take account of that in our business. We can't afford to operate in the same fashion as if COVID hadn't occurred. We've got to be careful in this market with the expectation that bargains would be there to be had and and i think the the one deal that they have done they have got a bargain because donny van de Beek wouldn't have gone for that price a year ago in fact real madrid had agreed a higher price for him and in a deal that they were unable to complete however they're in a situation where manchester city are um throwing Unprecedented amounts of money at this market, as Steve has just explained. They are in a, a different category from other clubs in that in that they can afford to spend and uh, and fund transfer deals that and and contracts that no other club apart from Paris Saint Germain, the other big nation state club, can afford to handle. And then you also have Chelsea, who Manchester United just managed to get above at the end of last season with the benefit of uh, a record number of penalties awarded to them over the course of that season, um, spending very, very aggressively on uh, on almost all areas of the team. So if you're Solskjaer and you're looking at what you did last season um, and knowing you were way, way off realistically, um, Liverpool, I mean, they were closer to the relegation zone in terms of points than they were to... The champions, you are far behind Manchester City who are in the process of signing one of the two best players in the world, you would be putting the pressure on Ed Woodward uh, and the Glazers to give you more money in the market now Uh, and and also I think you don't have to be um, very sophisticated as a Manchester United manager to look back at what happened to your predecessors in terms of the transfer market and the history of the club in terms of taking things to the last minute and failing to get deals, quite a lot of deals that their managers wanted done, doing compromise deals, and also struggling to get players that you don't want in the squad out of the squad. So, yeah, I can understand why Solskjaer is trying to uh, accelerate the business at the club um, before he actually has to start games rather than having to wait until the October 5th deadline um, to get those new bodies in. It's interesting, Duncan. Um, If we look at
0: um, the way clubs have spent so far, Chelsea firing £50 notes from their tanks, uh, as the great phrase um, was once put out. Uh, We've got Manchester City negotiating probably the biggest ever deal that we'll ever see in football history. I doubt we'll ever see one greater. Although Kylian Mbappé, when he moves, might get close. So all of these clubs have made significant additions, Duncan. But there's an elephant in the room here that we haven't discussed, and that's the current champions, Liverpool. They've signed a backup left-back to Andy Robertson, the Greek international Simakas. But they have not made substantial additions to, obviously, a squad that won the Premier League and who just over a year ago won the Champions League. So perhaps they could say with some justification, we don't need to improve because we've got the best squad already. But I would think, and I would argue, and I'm sure Jurgen Klopp is probably having this conversation as well. In order to progress, you must move forward. And that means augmenting what is already a very good squad of players with some fairly strong backups. We know there is a ongoing interest in Tiago Alcantara of Bayern Munich. Um, they lost out on Timo Werner because they dragged their heels on that deal to Chelsea. But it seems to me that, if anything, everyone else is... I've got Liverpool in their sights, Duncan. They're thinking, OK, they're not going to improve. So if we just basically grasp the nettle and spend money, we've got a chance of taking over that title this season at a time when Liverpool fans were dreaming of some kind of you know, glorious period of domination?
1: Okay. I think you see with Chelsea special circumstances in that they have money saved because of their transfer window ban. Um, you told us that Roman Abramovich sees the way of boosting the club's value in, in, in investing in players rather than investing in that new stadium with the, the idea that it's still on the market, that there's still a possibility he can sell his... Uh, his interest in the team. Um, They have a a popular manager who played um, football that was appreciated over the last season, who has been pressing them to uh, invest in the market. So all of those things come together on the Chelsea side with the factor that there are bargains to be had if you can negotiate them at the right time. And you're getting offered players like Timo Werner Um, And I think this is the interesting thing with Liverpool because you see Timo Werner, Klopp setting that deal up, um, convincing the player to come to him and then FSG refusing to meet the terms that uh, Werner and uh, Leipzig wanted for their player because of the the COVID um, issues that that's had to their club revenue. Um, And therefore, um, agents taking Werner, offering him to Chelsea and saying, well, here's your opportunity to do it at this price. And, and we know when agents do that kind of thing, it, they don't, they're not really bothered whether the, the player goes to Chelsea, Liverpool or another club, as long as they've got a mandate for um, each of those clubs from um, the current owners. Uh, they just want to get the deal done. So their commission is paid and their, their player um, gets an improved contract and a move to... Um, a league he wants to move to. FSG didn't respond. The player goes to Chelsea. Thiago, we know, it's another deal that's been set up by Klopp. It's a player he really wants, He's, he believes will fit into the midfield, sort some of the problems they've had with the midfield. He's been looking for a long time for a player who can provide the physical effort and and play the pressing game that is essential to being part of Liverpool's midfield and be a more creative force than the individuals he has in there at the moment. He set that up. Bayern are prepared to let the player go. They've told um, him, "Okay, you can leave if you're not going to sign a new contract with us. And he has, I think, one year left at Bayern. But we need over €30 million as a transfer fee. So the, the deal is there. The players' terms are there. The player wants to go. Klopp is set up. FSG aren't paying the money um, required to make it happen. And, you know, he's at the wrong end of the age scale. There's not going to be resale value on him. It's the kind of deal that you can see FSG shying away from. So Bayern and the agents offer him to other clubs to see if they can uh, force Liverpool's hand on that. Um, the other club doing a lot is Manchester City. And again, I think there are special circumstances there, which we have detailed. And that is uh, Guardiola not happy with what happened to his defence last season. They lose the title by a huge number of points to Liverpool. So they lose their dominance in England. Abu Dhabi's noses are put out of joint by that. They want to win the Champions League. They win their FFP case. Um, you have special dispensation from UEFA to spend and put equity into the club in this transfer market because of COVID. So they go all out uh, and spend very aggressively on backup centre-backs such as Nathan Aki. They make attempts uh, to get an elite centre-back in uh, alongside uh, their current defender, someone to start beside Amerik Laporte, Kaladu Kulabai. One of the the top targets there, and they put together an offer to Lionel Messi that's worth around 700 million euros. So, decision to be taken by FSG, and and as we've said discussing this on a, on a number of occasions, FSG are in this for the money, They're not in it for the glory. This is an investment on their part. They won the Champions League. They've won the Premier League. Um, They have bought a lot of time from the Liverpool support. They put a a lot of money in to do that. The wage bill has increased hugely over the period in which they built the squad capable of winning those two trophies. They won the division by a huge number of points. The calculation can be, well, that squad's probably good enough to to have a good chance of winning the Premier League again. Um, Can't you just get on with it, Jürgen?
0: Well, I'm sure Jurgen Klopp would have been very jealous um, if he saw the footage of Kai Havertz leaving Germany's international base, uh, where they are uh, together training and, of course, playing um, their international matches over the next uh, week or so uh, to take a medical at Chelsea. Um, taking Chelsea spending, um, reported fee of around 90 million euros in all, but that is with add-ons Uh, The initial fee, we understand, will be closer to 72 million euros. Um, Havertz, uh, lots of um, reports, Duncan, bandied around about silly numbers on salary, especially for a 21-year-old who's currently earning around 10,000 euros a week by Leverkusen. Some people saying he's going to be earning 300,000 pounds per week. Um, I think we reported in the podcast a few weeks ago that an agreement had been reached with the player and his representatives. That would pay him just over £100,000 per week, but that payment would uh, escalate in steps over the five years of his contract with a year option for both parties. This is going to be an interesting season, Duncan. A German spine at Chelsea. Rüdiger in defence, central defence. Havertz at number six, Werner at number nine. What do you make of that? That's not something you'd have thought you'd be seeing at Chelsea, is it?
1: Usually usually a Brazilian Or or, or Italians As well (laughs) Uh, And Are you sure Rudiger will play That many games at centre-back?
0: Well he might Duncan uh, Because Rudiger is at the moment the most trusted Of the uh, current uh, Batch of centre-backs That Lampard has at his disposal I don't think he's necessarily Expecting to get more than one High-profile centre-back in uh, we know that Declan Rice is, is his preferred option um, because he sees him as a, a dominant, uh, vocal and skillful footballer who can drop to centre-back, but also play as a defensive midfielder, although centre-back would be the preferred position for him. But um, if he's playing a three or playing a two, I would see at this moment in time that Rudiger would be the most obvious of the others in terms of Tamori and, and Christensen. Uh, to play in that position. Uh, also, uh, as I said, you would then have Havertz at six and, and Werner at nine. And um, it's, it's, it's intriguing, as as much as, Duncan, information that we have, that Chelsea are willing to let N'Golo Le Kante, a player who's been absolutely pivotal in uh, league-winning season um, for Chelsea, but they are willing to let him go. And obviously, this comes with uh, a bit of balancing the books because you don't spend £230 million in one window without having to trim your squad. And we know that Lampard follows the Mourinho template of liking to work with a core 18 or 19 players for the majority of the season um, and playing those players consistently, making changes when he has to and rotating when he has to. But depending on that, I remember uh, Lampard telling me once how how embarrassed he was when uh, they had a training match at Cobham uh, some years ago and it was under Mourinho the first time, so between 04 and 007 And uh, they had to have substitutes in the training match because they had so many players. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think Frank is uh, keen to trim uh, the squad and make sure that he's not got people hanging about as bodies, as he calls them.
1: Well, we know that um, Antonio Conte has asked Inter to try and re- reunite him with Angola Conte, um, part of his uh, Chelsea Premier League title winning team. Um, he's also had intermaking inquiries as to whether it would be possible to get Tanguy and Dumbelli out of Tottenham, a um, player that Daniel Levy does not want to sell at a loss, having made him the club's record transfer last summer. Um, you say that Lampard would be open to allowing. Um, Conte to leave. Um, what what kind of uh, financial terms are we talking about from Chelsea's part uh, in terms of a transfer fee? And do you think Conte would be open to leaving Chelsea to go to Italian football?
0: Well, two different answers for sure there, Duncan. My um, understanding is that Conte is very much settled in England uh, and it would be resistant to leaving. His current contract with Chelsea is a very good one. It was upgraded two years ago. Um, He's in no rush to leave Stamford Bridge um, or England for that matter, having transferred, of course, from Leicester City, having won the title there. and uh, So that would be um, a persuasion on Chelsea's part, as well as perhaps a a payment, because he's he's not going to be asking for a transfer anytime soon. I think he feels like he suffered a little bit in terms of lack of game time last season. Um, but you have to say that if you watch Chelsea um, a lot in the last uh, part of the season, and even at the big, you know, throughout the season, which was of course uh, terribly interrupted, there was a lack of dyna- dyna- dynamism. <laughs> Just get that, get my false teeth out there. Um, in in the midfield, they played effectively with four three three, sometimes with Mason Mount as number 10, in front of a double pivot, which helped. Um, but generally speaking, um, Kovacic uh, and Jorginho and Conte would rotate, and any of the three were not particularly fluid in the way they moved the ball, and indeed there were quite a few mistakes in possession by uh, those players, which sometimes led to goal chances and sometimes goals themselves. I think what um, Lampard sees season, Havertz is a player who can actually take the ball, move it quickly in the pass, but also when needed, accelerate beyond his direct opponent and then feed players either on the channel or in the triangle, uh, on the flanks, both, or again, of course, Havertz and, he hopes, Werner um, will have a nice link up, uh, which they uh, have enjoyed in the German national team and uh, know each other's pl- play very well. Uh, Rudiger's already spoken about the fact that he has chatted to both players ahead of their moves, respectively, to Chelsea. So I think that's what he's looking for, which means one of those players, if not more, is now uh, open for a move. um, And maybe Conte will see that moving uh, to Milan and Internazionale with uh, his former mentor, Antonio Conte. Uh, would be a best option for him should he want to play football. He's 29 now. This would be a big contract for him. Whether Inter can afford to match his current salary, which is around £200,000 a week, I'm not sure because they've spent a lot of money, not just in the last 12 months, but in the last two years. So they would have to fork out quite a lot. Uh, you asked what the transfer fee would be. Well, we know that Muna is a very, very good operator, uh, if any of you saw our old friend Christophe Terer's tweet on Twitter today about the um, details of the Aden Hazard deal, which will see Chelsea paid 143 million euros in total for Hazard. Uh, you can see that Granoskaya really is uh, a very, very clever and ruthless uh, person to work uh, in the transfer market. So, Conte... I suspect they will want at least €50 million plus um, for the player. And, of course, uh, that would take the total cost of the deal for Inter beyond €100 million if it's a four-year contract. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult one to do, Duncan, for all those reasons. But, as I said, you know, Inter and Conte, well, that relationship is still a little bit fractious. So it will be a test of both... um, the management uh, in terms of the owners at Inter, as well as Conte, and that, I mean the manager, Conte, and uh, his persuas- well ability to persuade um, his employers to go for the France international.
1: Well, it'd be interesting to see if Conte cites um, the, uh, the large amount of money that his uh, ultimate owner, Suning, a Chinese company, have saved by having their contract with the Premier League cancelled. Uh, this week, so that 700 million deal over three years terminated um, by the Premier League um, earlier on. So there, there's certainly the cash there on the owner's part if they can manage to filter it into Inter uh, to satisfy Conte's latest demand for a new player. But as you say, the, the question is whether they actually do want to give their manager what they want, what he wants, given the problems they've had with them and. Uh, the, the, the attempt and uh, the discussion they had with their lawyers over whether they could get rid of him for nothing um, before coming to the, the, the quite terse public resolution that they communicated last week.
0: So then, uh, just before we move on to, of course, the donkey, because we know that you're all waiting with bated breath, um, as this has been quite a marathon podcast today, but I'm sure uh, you all guys have all got a leisurely weekend planned ahead of you, so therefore... You know, put your feet up and uh, make sure you get all of the quality from today's Transfer Window podcast. Um, Consequences for the clubs in the Premier League, Duncan, of that deal falling through. This was the highest overseas broadcast contract which exists for the Premier League. Now, both sides are claiming they were the one who terminated it. The Premier League have put out a statement saying that as a result of breach of contract when... um, The channels called PPTV uh, did not pay their installment of £160 million in March for uh, licensing and broadcast rights up until that point. They decided to terminate it there and then. They are now, as we understand, um, basically scurrying around, desperately trying to find someone else to take over that contract in China. But, of course, there are some government and some political tensions which are um, getting in the way of the
1: Premier League securing a different broadcaster for that huge audience. Yeah, look, we we know that the the massive Chinese investment in football was driven by the Chinese government. It was essentially the president saying to um, major businessmen in the country, I want football developed in this country. I want the World Cup here. I want to be able to win the World Cup. Um, I'm making a lot of money available to you to invest in football in China and to invest in football in Europe by buying European football teams. And we saw clubs like Internazionale, AC Milan being bought off the back of that in in England, Wolverhampton, um, Aston Villa, Southampton, uh, to various degrees of effect and success. Um, I think this is a big problem for the Premier League because there are suggestions that uh, the decision to uh, cut that contract and stop the payments from PPTV was uh, pushed by the Chinese government. I, I do not know if that is true or not. If it is, it's going to be very difficult to find a successor. Certainly you can, you can argue it's going to be difficult to replace uh, the scale of that contract, even if the Chinese government are happy with another Chinese uh, company taking over the broadcast rights for the Premier League, because this is a terrible time to be um, negotiating new deals in football, um, because a lot of a lot of TV contracts have been cancelled. A lot of um, uh, discounts have been offered on contracts. Premier League obviously paid back money to several of its broadcasters last season because of COVID. Um, it does look like the Premier League will not be negotiating from a position of strength here, and that's a a substantial amount of money lost to the bottom lines of its clubs if they don't get uh, a similar deal in place to replace the the PPTV contract.
0: Certainly is, and maybe for the first time we'll see the Premier League under pressure uh, to actually produce the rabbit from the hat with regards to Um, equalling rather than flatlining the broadcast revenue that they have been so used to pouring into the coffers of the Premier League clubs. Now it's time uh, that time of the week uh, that you all look forward to, certainly we do, when we award the golden statuette known as the donkey, the most prestigious award in football. Uh, (laughs) Do not believe the hype about the Ballon d'Or. It's got nothing on the donkey. And uh, this week we thought we could go no, nowhere else basically than of course Barcelona um, for um, the inspiration for the award and we've decided that we're going to name it after Barcelona president Joseph Maria Bartomeu and the award will be uh, for when the shit hits the fan make sure you duck because another one's coming along after. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to open up the golden envelope, as always, uh, to see who our nominations are. Oh, I'm a bit sticky this week. There we go. I think someone's been cell-tipping it down. Now, here we go. Harry Maguire. Where, where else about Harry Maguire? The man whose season dipped dramatically in terms of his form. Um, He's played in a team who became known as managed by Semi Solskjaer. And then, of course, he goes off to have his holidays, gets caught up in a rather unseemly fracas in Mykonos, which ends up with him being in court, given a suspended jail sentence and granted then a retrial. Um, so Har McGuire is our first nomination. Um, first of all, as I said, the first shit out of the fan was the season. The second was the fight. Second nomination, no uh, stranger to being nominated for the donkey, and that's Josie Mourinho, who, and we're not being flippant here, uh, as a dog owner myself and Duncan's as well, we know the pain uh, that we feel uh, if our dog is unwell, but Mourinho has um, revealed that his Yorkshire Terrier, his beloved Yorkshire Terrier, died on Christmas Eve last year uh, and in the new... Spurs documentary, which is available. Uh, you will hear Duncan Nice voices on it as well. Uh, just a little plug there. Um, he did. He lost his dog on Christmas Eve, and then on New Year's Day he lost his beloved England striker and captain Harry Kane. Uh, so yeah, that was a real double whammy for the Tottenham Hotspur manager. And thirdly, a little bit of history for you here, but I'm sure you all remember. If not, please Google it uh, or YouTube it. Poor Johnny Woodgate, the man who had to wait one year to make his Real Madrid debut, having transferred from Newcastle United in 2004. He did so against Athletic Bilbao. First uh, contribution to the game was a comedy on goal misunderstanding. He then got himself sent off for two yellow cards. Johnny Woodgate, we salute you. Duncan, we salute you because you're the man who will award this week's golden statuette.
1: Uh, a strong, strong case from Harry Maguire, um, but I think we gave him one last week, didn't we? Or, or he was in the inspiration behind <laughs> it last week. Um, yes, uh, getting knocked out in the, the semi final with two positional mistakes, and uh, and then ended up being convicted in the Greek courts for multiple uh, breaches, including bribing public officials. Um, not not a great combination. Um, Jose's dog, I think. I think the Yorkshire Terrier was called Leah, and I think this is the dog who became front page news in England um, after there were uh, there were problems over its um, veterinary certificates bringing it into the country, and the, and the and the uh, I think a vet informed local officials in in London, and the dog was was going to be. Uh, quarantined and taken away from Jose and uh, yeah. Look look back at the stories that wasn't, wasn't all, it oh, the
0: case wasn't it the case that Tam, his wife, smuggled a dog inside a long coat, the inside pocket of a long coat, through Heathrow Airport in a situation which resonated with Josie in a laundry basket dressing from Stafford Bridge.
1: I think that was one version of events that was uh, depicted in the tabloids at the time, but certainly a much-loved dog. But I think the winner of the bartomeo Merda Award has to be Jonathan Woodgate for that sequence of events, and it, it really just speaks for itself. Um, so, yeah, Jonathan Woodgate uh, not won any
0: silverware for a while, I think.
1: Um, and, got,
0: and got sacked as boss of Middlesbrough, his, his boyhood club, towards the end of last season, only to be even more humiliated when the great Colin Beep, Beep took over and kept him up. <laughs> um,
1: At so least I'm, he has the consolation of a donkey now. He
0: does, he does. You're probably right. Actually, that may be his first trophy since he was about 12. So, um, Johnny, we will be packaging it up and sending it off to you. Please, obviously, um, advise us that you have received it. Uh, these things cost a bit of money, so we don't want it going astray. Uh, that's it for... This week's Transfer Window Podcasts, Uh, we've obviously left you with a total cracker. Uh, Our thanks again to Steve Martin of MC Saatchi Sport and Entertainment for his insight and analysis to the commercial aspects of the Messi transfer. Uh, You can get your podcast on all of the usual platforms as well as on our YouTube channel, um, which is search at Transfer Window Podcast. If you subscribe on there you'll automatically be made aware of when the next episode is out and of course if you subscribe to the podcast and to the transfer at transfer podcast on twitter the same thing will happen so you never miss a thing um we're also available on uh, social media not just on twitter but on instagram and facebook at transfer podcast if you want to continue the debate please do and you always do and we're never disappointed Uh, Duncan is at Duncan Castles I'm at Garbo SJ and of course if you like what you've heard, please log on to iTunes give us a 5 star review, Community Expands you know the the story you know the story by now and of course you know all the stories because we bring them to you before anyone else have a great weekend everyone, this leads me to say stay safe, be well and thanks for listening